as we've introduced, we're starting a new series about new in Christ, our new life in Christ. And over the next five weeks, we'll be considering different aspects of that. And let me just make it clear from the start, the, the, the reason that we gather together on a Sunday is to, to worship God as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ. There's that phrase again. So the church primarily is for Christians. And this series is to help us as Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, to understand who we are in Christ. And yet if you're not a Christian today, that doesn't mean that you can leave and you're not welcome. We love you being here and we are so thankful for that. But the primary application throughout this series will be directed towards Christians. But there will be application to you because this is what you're missing out on by being in Christ. I just want to make that clear from the outset of that series in case people are like, it's not relevant to my life. It's relevant to all of us, Christian and non-Christian. And as you, as you continue to uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, I was teaching the kids last week and uh, each month we have a, a big question in the kids' work. And this week, uh, and this, this month, sorry, it's what is the Bible? And it says this, the Bible is God's word to us that tells us truth about God. God and about ourselves. And as we come to Ephesians 2, and as we come to this opening uh, sermon, we're going to realize that it tells us truth about what God has done for us, but it presents the harsh truth at times, and yet the joyous truth at times that we are in Christ. So the Bible is God's word, the words of the living God, to us that tells us truth about God and ourselves. And that's why we want to take time to read um, I'm going to take something big, I guess, today and try to preach the whole of Ephesians chapter 2, but we're going for a big picture view, not every single detail, big picture view. So therefore, we're going to read Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 22. Uh, so let's, let's read and again listen to what God says to us in his word. The apostle Paul writes by the Holy Spirit, verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and he raised us up with him, with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And Paul continues in verses 11 to 22 to move away from the individual identity to, to, to corporate identity, but it's still about identity. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you, you 
Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the the wall of partition by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace." And that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him, in Christ. You are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And we'll finish our reading there. Let's pray and ask for God's help to understand his word. Father, we want to thank you as we've been thinking about that kid's question that you and your grace have have given us your word. You have spoken to us in history past and finally through your son. We thank you that your word presents truth to us about you, the only God, and about we as sinful creatures. We do ask, O God, as we consider uh, new life in Christ, and look at our new identity today, that your spirit may may open our eyes to behold wondrous truths of the law. Lord, there's so much in Ephesians 2, so much to spend time on, but we want to take the big picture. And I want to pray, Lord, we want to pray that, that by your spirit and according to your grace, you would help us to leave this building later on today, knowing who we are in Christ. And for the non-Christians in our midst, we ask, Lord, that you would, you would create in their heart the desire and the longing to be in Christ because he is the answer to all their searching and all of their, their, their pursuit in this life. And we pray all of this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, let me begin with a question. Who are you? I'm not talking about your name, rather I'm asking about who you truly are, your real, authentic self. What defines you today? What is your identity? Is it your career? Are you defined by your work and by your achievements and a bit like Ecclesiastes, by your education? Is that what your identity is found in today? Is it found in your personal history? Are you defined um, by, by what has happened to you in the past, whether in your family or whether as a nation? Is that where you find your identity today? Or perhaps it's in your inner self. Are you defined by, by, by what you feel? That's how most people in the West describe identity today, isn't it? 
in terms of feelings, especially sexual feelings. People say, I am X, Y, and Z. I identify as X, Y, and Z. Our world and us today, all of us are searching for an identity. And if you're building your identity on the three foundations just mentioned, then you're building your identity on an unstable foundation, a shaky foundation. You see, since life events change, if you're building your your identity on your career, on your life events, then, then that identity can change. Since history changes, whether by revelation or by what happens in the future, So an identity built solely on your history can change. And since feelings change, an identity built on our inner self, on what we feel, can change. And as a result, we've been exposed to the fact that we need to look elsewhere for a solid foundation for our identity. Is there a stable and permanent identity out there? Well, yes, there is. It's not an identity achieved. Rather, it's an identity received through relationship with Jesus Christ, God's Son. It's an identity provided in Christ. And that's why I want us as Christians and and, and non-Christians to spend time together this morning considering our new identity in Christ. And as I've already said, we'll be considering it from the whole of Ephesians 2, from a, from a bird's eye view. And some of you may be disappointed why I'm not talking about apostles and prophets, why I won't be talking about the church, because we want the big few, and potentially, in God's will, when we become back to, to consider the smaller parts. And that's precisely what Ephesians 2 is all about. The Apostle Paul paints a picture of the Christian by describing their past identity and their present identity. As we read it, you probably noticed that Paul switches between what we once were and, and, and goes into what Christians are now. And the big idea of Ephesians chapter 2 can be grouped under three headings. What we were, what we are, and what changed. Before we consider that, let me uh, give you an illustration to try and help us uh, with today. I remember reading Mission uh, Autobiography by Jim Elliott, uh, who went to the Oka Indians, and he was kind of describing his... Uh, his practice, that he would, he would go up in the plane with the other missionaries and they would fly the plane across these tribal areas, not knowing anyone, and they would drop and drop and drop stuff, hoping that something would stick. And in a sense, that's what I want to do today. We're going up, we're taking a bird's eye view, and our one goal is to see our identity. And we're going to drop truth after truth after truth after truth. Not so that everyone goes away and says, hey, I know every single truth, but in God's grace that we will go away knowing at least one of these truths, that one thing will stick. But overall, it's the one goal. It's about our identity in Christ. So let's consider uh, truths about what Christians were. Firstly, Christians were dead. Look at first one. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Here Paul is speaking of spiritual death, not, not physical death. We are all born physically alive, but we are spiritually dead. We've already referenced this in our catechism. Our spiritual death is a result of Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve disobeyed God's commandment. They took fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that moment, they died. 
Not physically, because then they had a conversation with God in the garden, but spiritually separated from God, cut off from his presence, unable to respond. And because of their disobedience, sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all because all sinned. As a result, all of us are born sinners, and therefore we sin in our life. We continually fall short of God's perfect standard. We, we continually miss the mark like a crossbow. We, we shoot arrow after arrow, but it never gets to the mark. Some go way behind, some fall short, some, some go left, some right, but we will never in and of ourselves reach the goal. Why? Because we are spiritually dead sinners. Fellow Christians, we were dead. Secondly, Christians were enslaved. Notice how Paul carries on in verses 2 and 3. He talks about how we once walked and how we once lived. The terms are interchangeable because one's walk um, describes one's life. You see, without a relationship with God through Christ, every human lives a disobedient life which, 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 which goes after, walks according to, is controlled by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Christians were slaves to, to, to a world system which is, which is inwardly opposed to God. We were slaves of the devil, the ruler of this present world, because we followed him as our master. We were slaves to the passions of our flesh. That explains why, why we so often fail to resist the desires of our body and mind, no matter how perverse they were. People talk about free will. And I'm not going to get into that debate, but the only free thing that a book is, is it goes down. And that was us. We were enslaved to one direction outside of Christ. We went down and down and down. We can never go up because we were dead and we were enslaved. Fellow Christians, we were enslaved. Thirdly, Christians were condemned. Paul writes at the end of verse 3, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. God's word clearly states that, that our holy God punishes sin. In fact, his righteous wrath, John chapter 3 tells us, is currently on all who continue in their sin. And you may think that you're safe, and you may think that you're at peace here in Frankfurt, but the honest truth is you're not if you're not in Christ. Because you are condemned. And you will face the coming wrath of God when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. Fellow Christians, we were condemned. Fourthly, Christians, we were separated from Christ. From verse 11 onwards, Paul, Paul considers the, the specific identity of Gentile Christians. And in that Bible, that, 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 that term Gentiles refers to, to the nations, to those who, 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 who don't belong to Israel. And since most of us here today, I'm going to guess, are probably have no Jewish heritage, I say most of us probably have no Jewish heritage, we belong to this group. We are Gentiles. And as a result, if you are a Christian today, the descriptions that follow in verse 12 were true of you. They were true of me as a Gentile. As Gentiles, Paul says in verse 12, we were disadvantaged in five ways. The first disadvantage was that we were, we were separated from Christ. We were apart from him. Now, I think that this separation, separation from Christ, 
is the root of the four disadvantages that follow. It's, it's the cause of it all. Everything else is the effect of that root. Therefore, separation from Christ means separation from God's special blessings reserved for his chosen people. Make no mistake, the Apostle Paul doesn't mistake it. The Jewish nation was at an advantage. They had great advantages. Romans 3, Romans 9. And fellow Christians, we were, we were cut off from those advantages because as Gentiles, we were separated from Christ. Fifthly, Christians were aliens and strangers. Paul goes on to describe two more disadvantages that are true for all Gentiles. First, we were alienated, verse 12, from the commonwealth of Israel. The nation of Israel had God's special protection and blessing. It was God's country because it was a nation governed by God. We, however, did not belong to that nation. By nature, we as Gentiles, as other nations, we were not God's treasured possession. We were not God's, uh, the, the apple of God's eye. We are not his chosen people. And since we didn't belong to that nation, we also didn't share even in the, uh, we, we didn't share or we didn't even know the covenants of promise that God made with Abraham and with Moses and with King David and even the new covenant. That's why Paul says in verse 12, we were strangers to the covenants of promise. Fellow Christians, as Gentiles, we were aliens and strangers. Number six, we were hopeless and godless. Look at the final two disadvantages in verse 12. Having no hope and without God in the world. I think the two descriptions go together because without God, there is no hope. Biblical hope, as Sam providentially has already said, it's not wishful thinking like, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Rather, it's a sure and certain uh, confidence about the future, confidence built upon God's word and God's character, and confidence that is, is, is to stir us, motivate us in the present. And without a true knowledge of God, we were left in the dark. We had no promises to cling to. We had no character to trust. We had no idea how the future would be. Remember a couple of years ago, I was... Over in England, um, I'm from Northern Ireland, I was over in England and uh, I was leading a team there and uh, we were doing some outreach to uh, people from Islam and uh, we were invited to a local mosque uh, and there, it was a really, really good experience going in, very hospitable, had great food afterwards, but we went into the mosque and we sat at the back of the service and it was translated to us what was happening. And the one thing that struck with me since that day was how miserable these guys were. God's providence, it turned out that it was one of the anniversary dates celebrating the death of the martyrs. And I mean growing men, growing men, weeping and beating their breasts, crying out because of the death of their martyrs. A picture of people without hope because they were without God. Oh, what a miserable condition we were in. Fellow Christians, we as Gentiles were hopeless and we were godless. And number seven, we were enemies of God and others. Do you notice how in verse 11, Paul introduces two groups, Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision and the circumcision, i.e. the Jews. 
And at that time, Jews and Gentiles uh, were, were divided socially because they despised one another. It's very hard for us to grasp this at times. They, they absolutely hated one another. They were enemies. Let me give you some examples. Some Jews didn't share meals with Gentiles. So Peter in Acts 11, after coming out of Gentile uh, house of Cornelius, he was criticized by the circumcision party. Some Jews also um, took it to the extreme that if they went into a Gentile city, they would take their shoes off after that city and they would, they, would, they, would, they would get the dust out of their shoes so as not to bring unclean Gentile dust into the Holy Land. Mothers and dads here, mums and dads here, well, Jewish parents, they, they said, if my son or daughter marries a Gentile, they're cut off. They didn't celebrate the wedding. They held a funeral. It was that extreme. And this was so clear in the temple where a one and a half meter tall wall separated the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the worship area. And this is probably what Paul means by by the wall of hostility in verse 15. And on that wall, several notices were displayed in Greek, Latin, and Aramaic to remind Gentiles, do not go any further. One of these notices was, was found, and it said this, No foreigner may enter within the railing and enclosure that surround the temple. Anyone apprehended shall have himself to blame for his consequent death. They hated one another. They despised one another. They were divided. And a division present in Ephesus, so as Paul's talking to, is also present today, isn't it? Northern Ireland, if you know the history, Protestants and Catholics. There was a war known as the Troubles because of it. Racism, sexism, segregation. Sectarianism, they all reveal that we are war, we are at war with one another. Why? Because by nature, we are enemies of God. Our hostility towards one another, horizontally, is an expression of our ultimate hostility hostility vertically towards God. We need to be reconciled to God before we can be reconciled to one another. Fellow Christians, we were enemies of God and we were enemies of one another. So Paul's picture in Ephesians 2 is dark and sad. In fact, it's, it's totally depressing. You thought you were away from Ecclesiastes. Well, here's Paul. It's sad. It's difficult. It's dark. And yet it's the truth about who we naturally are. And if you're not a Christian today, these truths just explored describe your, your current identity, your real identity right now. You are dead, enslaved, and condemned. You are separated from Christ, an alien and stranger, hopeless and godless. You're an enemy of God and of others. And you may deny this. You may even try to hide it behind a fake identity. But the Bible has revealed the plain truth, not just about God, but about ourselves. But on the other hand, if you are a Christian today, someone who has repented of your sins and trusted Christ Jesus as your only Savior and Lord, 
then this dark picture pictures what you were in order to help you see clearly what you are now. Let me say that again. This dark picture describes what you were in order to help you, to help me, to help us see clearly what we are now. And across Ephesians 2, Paul contrasts these, 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 these truths with another seven encouraging truths. Let's notice those seven ones again. Don't worry, it's going to be a lot quicker than the last time. Let's consider the reversals to learn what we are as Christians. And I know the PowerPoint behind us is a bit, uh, there's a lot of text on it coming up in just a moment. But it's to help you to see these contrasts, these reversals of the disadvantages of the curse. Number one, we are alive. Look at what Paul says in verse 5. God made us alive together with Christ. In other words, God has raised us from spiritual death to spiritual life. Now that we are alive, we can understand, we can understand spiritual truths and we, can, and we are able to respond to God. Fellow Christians, we were dead, but now we are alive. And you're going to see throughout this, I'm going to get so excited because it's just amazing, this back bleak, uh, this painting to magnify what we are right now. Number two, we are free. In verse 10, Paul picks up the language of, of walking again, language that he used back in verses 2 and 3. Notice, however, that the Christians, verse 10, are now free to walk in the paths of good works that God prepared before us. We're no longer controlled by the world, the flesh, or the devil. We're no longer just going down as that book illustration went, but we're able to go up. We're able to go down. That's why we sin. But we are free from our sin and we are able to walk in the good works that God has prepared beforehand for us. Fellow Christians, we were enslaved, but now we are free. Number three, we are saved. Look at the end of verse five with me. By grace, you have been saved. Saved from what? From the wrath of God described in verse three. Maybe you're not a Christian today and you hear all these Christians sing about being saved and talking about saved and asking you, are you saved? Well, it's from the Bible because that's exactly who we are. That's what we are. We have been saved from God's righteous judgment coming upon our sin. The truth repeated in verse 8 to, to, to solidify in our minds that we will never, ever perish Fellow Christians, we were condemned, but now we are saved. Number four, we are united to Christ. The curse of verse 12 is reversed in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Fellow Christians, we, are, we, are, we were separated from Christ, but now we are united to Christ. Number five, We are fellow citizens and partakers. Look at how Paul starts verse 19 of Ephesians 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. It's the same language of verse 12. Ding, ding, ding. Paul then continues in verse 19. But now you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In other words, the disadvantages are no more. Instead of being aliens to the commonwealth of Israel, 
We are now fellow citizens. Citizens of what? God's kingdom. Full citizens, not second class citizens. Full citizens with all the blessings and all the privileges. For example, the promise of the covenants are now ours. Turn over for a moment to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6. Just one page in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6. At the start of Ephesians 3, Paul describes a mystery made known to him by God. And in verse 6, he tells us plainly what this mystery is. Ephesians 3 verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Can you hear the echoes of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 here? As fellow citizens then, we are no longer strangers to the covenants of promise. Rather, we are, we are partakers of the promise. They are ours today. And I'm, I'm sorry to say, but even me, when I was studying it all week, like, I still can't understand how mind-blowing this would have been for the original audience. It was a mystery only revealed to the Apostle Paul. And yet it's true. All that was Israel's is now ours. Fellow Christians, we were aliens and strangers, but now we are fellow citizens and partakers. Number six, we are hopeful children of God. Look at what Paul declares in verse 18. We have access in one spirit to the Father. Since God has adopted us into his family, we can, we can boldly approach his throne in prayer as his beloved children. Paul then moves from the family to the temple in verses 20 to 22. Notice how in verse 22 he says, we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's our hope, fellow Christians. Not wishful thinking, certainty that God himself will one day dwell with us as our God and we as his people. It's quite a reversal, isn't it? We were hopeless and godless, but now we are the hopeful children of God. Number seven, we are reconciled to God and to others. In verses 14 to 16, you will hear the words peace and one, two becoming one over and over again. Why? Because Paul describes how Christ Jesus broke down the dividing wall of hostility and reconciled us to God through his death on the cross. For Christians, the, the, the vertical war is over. Therefore, the horizontal war can be over. We are one with one another because we are one with God. We are brothers and sisters. We are members of the household of God. Verse 19. Fellow Christians, we were enemies of God and others, but now we are reconciled to God and others. So like Jim Elliot, flying up there with the lands, putting things down all the time with that one goal to see which one sticks. That's what we're doing here. 14 sub-points. Crazy, isn't that? 14 sub-points. Seven contrasts. Truth after truth saying, this is who we are. This is who we are as Christians. Doesn't that not make you just want to jump in joy? 
Someone does not just want to say, Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. It does something inside of us, doesn't it? You can see it from my face. Just, just in awe, it warms our hearts. And that's because it's what we are as Christians and what we want to be as non-Christians. If you're a Christian today, the seven truths just explored describe your real identity right now. You're alive, free, and saved. You are united to Christ, a fellow citizen and partaker, a hopeful child of God. You are reconciled to God and others. There's an old hymn. I remember going into a care home in Northern Ireland and a woman who was on her deathbed there. It just It was really sad to see, but she would always come in and when she knew the pastor was there, would say, sing me a song. So me and John, the pastor of that time, we sang her a song. She wanted a request. And it was, it was that old hymn, if you know it, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One. I'm not going to sing, but count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Are you discouraged today, Christian? Count your blessings. Seven blessings right there. And we're only scratching the surface. We could go to Jude. We've been there before. You are loved. You are, you are, you are chosen. You are kept for Christ Jesus. We go to Sephaniah chapter 3. Our God rejoices. He sings over us. Blessing after blessing. You may not know it, child of God. Or you may even struggle to believe it. But again, the Bible has revealed the truth to us today. But a question arises, doesn't it? How has this happened to me? Or if you're not a Christian today, you may be asking, how can this happen to me? In other words, thirdly, what changed? Well, look at verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2. Remember in verses 1 to 3, Paul, Paul described our, our miserable natural condition because of our sin. And in verse 4, Paul writes, But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And then Paul continues to talk about our new identity. So what changed? Well, God acted. God took the initiative and reached out to us. Our gracious and merciful God, motivated by love, changed our condition. How did he do this? Look at verse 13. Again, verse 13 comes after the miserable, natural condition described in verses 11 to 12. And then in verse 13, Paul writes, But now, contrast, but now in Christ Jesus. What changed? Our position. Our position. We are now in Christ. In third Ephesians, just ask the women of the church who are going through Ephesians. Third Ephesians, in Christ, with Christ, in Him. Paul speaks about our union to Christ. The New Testament teaches that when a, when a person becomes a Christian, God joins us, literally glues us to Christ by the Spirit through faith. We are spiritually and physically united, connected to God, uh, to Christ. As a result, all that is ours becomes his, and all that is his becomes ours. Therefore, every blessing we have as a Christian, including our new identity, every blessing is ours only because God has united us to Christ. 
We have a new identity in Christ. Let me just say that this new identity is stable and permanent because our union with Christ is stable and permanent. Since nothing can separate us from Christ, nothing can change our identity in Christ. Friends, do you know what this means? It means that your search for for a solid foundation for an identity is complete when you come to Christ. He alone provides a stable and permanent identity. Not your work, not your history, not your feelings, and not even your sins and failures. Christ and Christ alone. Therefore, non-Christian, come to Christ. Come to Christ. Repent of your sins today and trust in Jesus as your only Savior and Lord. Christianity is not boring. We are the most blessed people in this entire world. Come and join us. Walk through the door that is Christ. By faith, take hold of the one who died on the cross in your place and was raised three days later for your justification. To be in Christ, you must come to Christ. So come today. Come today. As I said at the beginning of our time together, our goal this morning was, was to consider our new identity in Christ by looking at Ephesians 2 from, from a bird's eye view. Drop after drop after drop after drop. And we've done it. You've made it. Well done. <laughs> so what now? Well, fellow Christians, we should leave with a desire to learn more about our new identity and to live out our new identity. Throughout the world, people suffer from from an identity crisis. They feel insecure because they don't know who they are. Same is true in the church, and and many even and and it may even be true of you today. I was researching this morning a little bit, and 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 to cope with our identity crisis, we're told to to quote express our core values, remind ourselves of what is important to us. But the problem with this, however, is that that our values change over time. So an inward identity is profoundly unstable. May I suggest instead that that we need to remind ourselves of the stable and permanent identity that we have received in Christ. To do that, you must learn your new identity by reading the Bible, which is God's word to us. Read your Bible to hear God declare that you are alive, you are free, and you're saved. Read to hear God remind you that you're loved, you're chosen, and that you're kept. Read to hear how God rejoices over you with singing as his beloved children. God has given us a new identity in Christ. A new identity that we need to learn more about. And as we learn about our new identity, we'll be able to live our new identity out. So we learn in order to be changed, to put it into practice. And when you truly live your new identity out, you will, um, your, your family and your work colleagues and your neighbours and even members of the church, they will see a difference in how you think and how you speak and how you act. And that's what Ephesians 4-6 to is all about. The, the, the doctrine, verses, uh, chapters 1-3, to and then all the practical stuff, verses 4-6. to We must learn and then live. They will say to you, you are different. 
Amen. I am different in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. How can you practically live out your new identity in Christ? Well, let me give you two suggestions. And with these, we close. Two suggestions to practically live out your new identity in Christ. First, living out your new identity means no boasting. No boasting. In verses 8 to 9, Paul describes how, how we have been saved by grace through faith. Paul then emphasizes that salvation is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Our new identity is completely from Christ. It is a gift from God. Therefore, we should thank God alone because all that we are is from him. The only time that we should look at ourselves, and we are to look at ourselves, verse uh, verse uh, uh, 11 and 12, remember, the only time that we should think about ourselves is to remember what we were in order to see clearly what we are now so that God and uh, Christ and the Holy Spirit may get all the praise and glory. Brothers and sisters in Christ, no boasting. Living out your new identity also means no barriers. The old physical and spiritual barriers, they've been broken down by Christ. And we should live in light of this reality. There's no longer a barrier to God because because we are reconciled to him. And therefore, we we can live out this barrier by, by boldly approaching his throne of grace to receive grace and mercy in times of need. We come to him and, and we relate to him as our father. The barrier's gone. Do you remember when, when uh, Jesus was, was raised from the dead? What happened to the temple curtain? It was torn in two. The barrier that separated the holy of holies from the rest of the temple was gone. We have access to God, our Father, through the Spirit. And notice there is also no longer a barrier with others because in Christ we are reconciled to one another. How do we live this out? Well, by keeping the barriers down. By keeping them down. That's Paul's main point in verses 14 to 18. Instead of two, we are one. Therefore, everything we do in church should reflect our corporate identity. This is especially important for us to remember as an international church. We live our new identity out at River of Life by refusing refusing to erect national and political barriers in the life of the church. Ephesians chapter 4, we, we, we are eager, strive eagerly to, to pursue the unity of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters in Christ, living out our new identity means no boasting and no barriers. And again, we're only scratching the surface. Well, in Ephesians Chapter 2, Paul tells us a lot. He tells us what we were. He tells us what we are. And he tells us what changed from A to B. And the bridge is Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, go into the rest of this week armed and strengthened that we have a new identity in Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for your word and we thank you for again answered prayer. We asked for your help that the Holy Spirit may open our eyes to behold wondrous truths out of your law. And, and Father, I believe that we have experienced that. 
And Lord, our prayer is that all of us would go out here not only knowing, learning this truth, but living it out, practically changed, knowing that we are, we are incredibly blessed because we are in Christ. And we thank you for all the, the transformation that you have given to us in Christ. You have taken the old away and you have given us, us the new creation in Christ. Again, we pray for those who are outside of Christ and ask, Lord, that you may speak into their hearts and help them, uh, Lord, to, to understand a spiritual truth. You are the, the, the God of the resurrection. Raise them from spiritual death to life today in Christ. And it's in his name we pray these things. Amen.